Welcome to the Xmas Files. I am your host, the Christmas Creeper of Channel X. Thank you for tuning in. Tonight, we bring you four fun-sized tales of Yuletide terror. Before we continue, please hit subscribe and jingle the bell. And if you enjoy these tales, please hit the thumbs up on the video. For our first tale of the night, we bring you a poem. This one, for reasons of the obvious, is titled A Krampus Poem. It was late December when I slipped in the house, where I found my victim sleeping with his stuffed toy mouse. He had been very naughty this year, you see, and on this very night, he is coming with me. He pulled Julie's hair and broke his mother's dishes. He even called his grandparents a couple of old witches. He had been very rotten and spoiled, no doubt. He is going to see what Krampus is all about. With the moonlight in my eyes and the look of dread on his face, he jumped out of bed and I began to give chase. He didn't make it far before my hands on his neck did clasp. I whipped him and whipped him as he began to gasp. I'm sorry I was bad, please stop this. But I beat him some more because I was in pure bliss. I threw him in my basket like an old rag doll and made my way to the window as he began to bawl. We rode in my sleigh till dawn's early light. The boy had no idea he would be dinner tonight. I will leave you with this, my solemn decree. You'd better be good. Or you will meet me. Don't be naughty, kids. Our next tale is called Santa Claus is Coming to Town.
The Christmas season is the most wonderful time of the year. All the candy, the presents, the decorations, and Santa Claus. The jolly old elf that brings gifts to all the good boys and girls of the world with his big belly and red suit. I used to love this time of the year, but you will soon read why that changed. I was 11 years old, and it was the 1st of December. I laid in bed as my mother scolded me about something I had done that day. And she ended with the cliché, You are getting coal and switches for Christmas this year. As I drifted off to sleep, I thought to myself, if she thought I was bad today, she has another thing coming. I was awakened in the middle of the night by the sounds of heavy breathing. So as most children would do, I hid under the covers. Then I heard a raspy voice say, Hello, naughty boy. I've come to take you far away. There is nothing you can do or say. There is no need to scream and no need to fight. Because one way or another, you are going with me tonight. It ripped away the covers and stood. A monster of a creature, with twisted giant black horns and draped with an old grotesque crimson coat. His face looked of old dry leather with hollow eyes and long crooked teeth. Next thing I know, it shoved me in a basket with other children. Then everything went black. When I came to, I was freezing cold with others around me sobbing. We were in a makeshift cage. There must have been 30 other kids beside me. Everyone was confused and scared. Then the creature came into the room, unlocked the cell, and snatched one of the other children. And as he did, he snarled. The bad for the good. It's all about sacrifice, you see. Your sins are delicious, and you will all feed me. And just like that, he sunk his teeth into his victim, and he wailed in pain. The creature left with him. Throughout the days, the monster would send these little creatures in for the next victim. You could see the sorrow in their eyes as they carried out his work. From time to time, the monster would come in to hand-pick his next meal, and every time he did, he was a little fatter and his hair began to grow. It was almost as if we were witnesses to the dead coming back to life. It started out with one child every couple of days, then to one a day, and now he would take two or three at a time. We made our plans and tried to escape, but to no avail, and the days drug on and on. And I was the last child left in the cage. And I knew that today would be the day that the creature would eat me. It had been a while since he himself had come to collect his meal. And I could only imagine what he looked like now. 
Visions of the monster with his grotesque grin spun around in my head. Then, I heard the now familiar sound of the lock opening, and I saw him walk in. I knew my time had come, and I would be the next meal for the monster. As he approached me, I noticed something was different. His beard was full, and his cheeks were merry. The coat that once was way too big fit him perfectly. He was fat and happy. He looked like a jolly old man, not threatening at all. But then he spoke. It's Christmas Eve, child. There is no need to be frightened. I cried out in anger. What kind of monster are you? Santa Claus. He chuckled. He saw the look of confusion on my face, and he laughed his deep, guttural laugh and began to speak. It's all about sacrifice. It's simple to see. I take the bad and reward the good, and it pleases me. I Krampus to the bad, but Santa to the good. This part of my life is misunderstood. It made sense to me now. I had always wondered how a man living in the North Pole stayed so full and healthy with no vegetation or any other source of food. He smiled at my realization and said, December is my month, my time to thrive. And I bet you are wondering why you are still alive. I nodded as he bent down and removed his hat. The horns shone bright. Every year I do this. Every year it's the same. Every year I release one, so the world will remember my name. I looked at him, puzzled, and he picked up on my confusion and continued. The reason I live the reason I survive is that all the children believe I'm alive. All the other old gods like me have gone out of existence and cease to be. The world forgot who they are, but not old Santa Claus. Not so far. You will tell your story. You will tell your tale. Though many won't believe, some of them will. I passed out and woke up on my front porch. I beat and beat on the door with all my might, and my parents came down. We were united again. I told them what happened, but just like Santa said, though many won't believe you, some of them will. The only part they seemed to believe was that I was with Santa. They forgot about him looking like a monster or eating children. So the spirit of Christmas lives on. The only reason I'm writing this after all these years is because my neighbor's little boy was taken last night from his bed. And that little feller 
has been a holy terror all year. He didn't heed my warnings no matter how sincere they were. I did all I could for him, but boys will be boys, and he will answer for it, I'm afraid. I'll leave you with this. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. His mouth waters when you've been bad. So be good, for God's sake. Because he is coming to town. It started when Todd went missing. The whole town dropped everything they were doing and searched every nook and cranny of the little town that we lived in. They searched it all. That's how it went when the first three kids went missing. But after the fourth, everyone got worried. The town became suspicious whose kid would be next. The curfew seemed to help for a little bit, but even that little speck of hope didn't last two weeks. Another one went missing. I can't say I was any different from the town. I was as worried as the next person. I had two little twins. They were my life. My everything. Until one night, he, she, it, took one of them from me. I was trying my hardest to fall asleep that night when I heard one of my kids screaming, then nothing. It was like someone quieted him as quickly as possible. I shot out of bed like any parent in my situation. I was still on edge over the very recent kidnappings. I threw open my door and sprinted to their door, quickly opening it. I stared in, paralyzed. It stood over one of my boys, a hand over his mouth. The thing was tall and lanky. In the ten-foot-tall room, it was crouching the top of its spine jabbing into the ceiling. It had three sets of arms running down its body, with almost spider-like legs. That's when it looked at me. I don't know how I didn't notice at first, but after seeing the long white beard and the overly red cheeks, it was obviously something dressed as Santa. Its hat warped with his flesh, and running up the red leather 
as what I can only describe as veins. The suit was very loose on it, but obviously very stiff, almost like it was made of skin and muscle. Its soulless eyes so black, I couldn't tell if there were even pupils. It stared at me and spoke. Ho. 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 I was paralyzed. I wanted to run and save my boy, but I couldn't move. With a blink of an eye, picked up my two boys by their throats, and that's when I broke. I sprinted over to it, not caring about my own safety. I lunged at the creature, but fell flat on my face. I looked up, wincing. It was gone, not leaving a trace. I can't tell you where it went, or even that it jumped out the window. It was just gone. I sat there for hours, just staring at the wall, trying hard to wrap my head around what happened, about the monstrosity that was just in my son's room, about how my son was just another statistic. What was I going to tell my ex-wife? That some monster, dressed like Santa, broke into my son's room and disappeared without a trace? So, I did the only thing I could have done. I said nothing, acted like my son was just another face on a missing kid poster. At first, I prayed that my boys were still alive, that one day I would get them back. But, knowing what I know now, I wish the thing would have killed them. By the time winter came and went, almost half the town was missing. Nobody talked about it. No one dared mention it. And for a couple years, we thought it was over, that we would never get our children back. Our whole town was wary for the next couple of winters, but we soon forgot about it as much as a grieving parent could. That was, until every family that had lost a child received a package. It was a present with dark red wrapping paper and a red bow. I received two. I stared at those two presents for almost 20 minutes, just praying it wasn't what I thought it was. It was so much worse. That's when I heard my neighbor scream. Then, another neighbor. Then another. I couldn't take it anymore. I lifted the lid of one of the presents and joined into the growing noise of screaming and shouting. From inside the package, 
two eyes stared up at me. I knew from the moment I saw them, they were my Todd's. The eyes weren't attached to anything, but frantically looking around, trying to figure out where he was. The eyes were laying in a mound of blood and flesh. That's when he spoke. In a soft, gravelly whisper, my son talked. Please, please kill me, d Dad. The mouth that he was speaking out of was also just combined in the sludge that was once my son. I fell to my knees, sobbing, screaming, crying. What had it done to my son? Why? A realization soon came over me, and I slowly turned my head over to the other present. It sat there, patiently waiting for me to open it. Waiting. Wow, that certainly did not end on a high note. For our final tale of the evening, we learn a bit of alternate history. This one is called The Secret of Krampus. For thousands of years, Krampus has terrified children around the world. His massive horns, bottomless basket, and fur wrapped in chain have been enough to strike fear into children for centuries. But I'm here to tell you what you know about him is wrong. I would know, because I am him. Well, at least one of him. There are hundreds, maybe thousands of us, all over the world. As the Krampus myth has spread, so have we. We could be your neighbors, your boss, your teacher. There's no real way of knowing who we are, because we look just like you. You see, thousands of years ago, in the German mountainside, our families were chosen. It was a time well before writing and modern recorded history, back when magic filled the world, and people didn't fear death. Life was full of rituals and peace. When one fateful day, my ancestors made a mistake. While honoring the gods for a great harvest and a so far mild winter, they performed a sacrifice of animals and food. 
the head of the village was a hard and frugal man. So instead of offering the best he had, he offered rotten grains and animals plagued with disease. And, in perhaps his most selfish move, instead of offering any of the white asparagus the village had grown, he offered the gods birch branches. The gods were very unamused by this man's cheap nature and sought to teach him and the village a lesson. For the next year, the village was plagued with famine and drought, disease ran rampant, people were dying, and the head of the village refused to help as the villages around him prospered. Refusing to acknowledge his hand in the torture and damnation of his village, he acted simply as though nothing was wrong. This angered the gods even further. But the final transgression is when the yearly sacrifice came. On the day we now recognize as December 5th in our modern calendar, a great fire was built. People from the village were afraid, knowing they had angered the gods the previous year. And so they brought any and all food and animals they could, but the village head would not allow any of their offerings to be cast into the flames. Instead, he once again threw birch branches in, along with a goat that had died of disease earlier that day. To say that the gods were outraged is a pretty big understatement. As the flames crackled, they started glowing a deep purple. The villagers cowered as their stubborn leader cackled and taunted the gods. Suddenly, the flames engulfed him and pulled him into the great bonfire. The villagers watched on, terrified, as he screamed. They could see his figure moving in the fire before it slowly started morphing. They watched as he grew in size and his body stretched and contorted. Horns sprouting from his head, his tongue lolling out of his mouth and his legs slowly transforming into hooves. As the fire died down, the village could see the result of the gods' full anger. Their leader had been transformed. The gods had seen it fit to transform him into a horrendous monster, using the sacrifices he so willingly gave. No longer the man they once knew, they watched as he crawled from the fire. His horns twisted back and into his skull coming out right below his eyes. His frame was elongated and disproportionate, with arms that drug the ground. Monstrous hooves replaced his feet, and he had massive birch spikes protruding from his back. But most chilling of all was his mouth. He had large fangs that hung below where his chin would be, but his bottom jaw was gone replaced with a large tongue that reached his navel, the god's final retort to him mocking them. 
The villagers quickly realized that the gods were not done with their punishment. Since they had stood aside unquestionably for their leader and did not make any attempt to honor the gods, they were to be punished. And punished they were. It didn't take but a moment for this creature, the original Krampus, to lunge at the terrified villagers. Without thought or pause, he began pulling the spikes from his back, impaling the small children before ripping them limb from limb with his godforsaken tongue. He had already consumed ten. When the men of the village were finally able to subdue him, chaining him in a lone hut. Year after year on December 5th, he would break his bonds and gorge himself on children. It was then that the villagers made a pact. Every year on December 5th, they would bring him children. They knew if they could keep him satisfied, he wouldn't be a threat. They also knew they couldn't kidnap children in broad daylight without repercussions. So the families each designed a costume, one of long horns and fur. They added chains to remember what bound them to their pact, bells so they could hear each other, and a large basket or sack to take the children away in. They vowed to only take bad children, the ones that life would be easier without. They'd be sorely missed, but they convinced themselves that society would be better off if these kids never made it to adulthood anyway. So from then on, the villagers would spend one day a year hunting children in the nearby villages, each family presenting a sacrifice to prevent Krampus from breaking free and roaming the world. It didn't take long before Krampus became a legend, even if it was a misguided one. As his legend spread and people moved, so did the families. It was easy to blend in and not be challenged when the fear of Krampus was so strong. And given the magic that ran through the world, these child hunters were able to mark the bags and baskets they carried with sigils that transported the children to the beast hidden in the hut on the mountain. This horrifying tradition carried on for hundreds of years up until today. My family is descended from one of the villagers tasked with gathering sacrifices. My costume had been handed down for well over 2,000 years and my basket is just as old. As time has gone on, we've each added our own touch to the costume, be it a bell or a chain, or maybe a bundle of birch twigs. My father learned how to hunt and awaken the sigil, and he learned from his father, and so on, before passing it down to me. With the development of technology, consumerism, and even the internet. The Krampus myth has spread around the world, allowing us to venture pretty much anywhere we please. I remember as a child my dad taking me hunting in the woods and teaching me how to scale trees and move without making a sound. He taught me how to silence small animals before killing them and how to use a birch spike to make a silent and efficient kill. 
He would set up hunting cameras and make me move through an obstacle course to make sure I could be quick and aware enough in my surroundings to not get caught. We've come a long way since those first hunters, but we keep tradition alive, and I'd like to think that we've done the world a service by providing them with an old legend to help keep kids in line. The reason I'm writing this is because there's been a problem. A few, actually. Not with my skills, or even what I do. I enjoy it far more than I should, ridding the world of those children who would do nothing but harm. The problems are far greater than that. Through the millenniums, that magic has gotten weaker. It's nearly drained from this world. And our sigil's active period grows shorter and shorter every year. It's been so long since we've had to deliver our bounty that we don't know where the HUD is where the real Krampus is kept. If we don't find a way to retain the magic in this world, he will be free. He may very well be free soon anyway, given the second issue at hand. Technology is great. It's improved our quality of life and our health and all sorts of stuff. It's not so great when you have a 2,000-something-year-old goat man you're trying to keep fed. What I mean by that is that hunters can't outrun security systems. A hunting camera was easy. It took still photos every so many seconds or minutes, and you just had to listen for a click to know when to move. These new security systems they have now made getting in a home to steal a child almost impossible. They have doorbells with cameras you can view from your phone, security systems, alarms that screech, silent alarms, systems that alert police. I even came across a house with sensors at the roof to make sure nothing was close to the solar panels they installed. This last hunt, we lost one of my Russian cousins to a conspiracy theorist with a gun and way too much time on his hands. We can't afford to lose any more hunters, because when we lose hunters, it cuts our number of sacrifices down. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why not just snatch a kid when you see one? One, cameras, part of the reason we are in this mess to begin with. Two, all this stranger danger has really kind of made that impossible. You even sneeze at a kid's general direction, and everyone looks at you thanks to all those serial killers that have decided to make kids their business the last few decades. So, my fake Krampus friend, why don't you just sacrifice an adult? Well, to be frank, adults don't fit in the bag. The real Krampus never ate adults, so it's not like my ancestors thousands of years ago thought of making adult-sized bags. Plus, the sigils, as weak as they are in the bottom of the bags and baskets. There's not enough magic in the world for all of us to redraw the sigils and actually have them work. This year, we barely got enough kids in time to keep Krampus contained. And I'm terrified that next year we won't be able to. So, here I am. 
I'm turning to the biggest and most powerful resource any person could have. You. The Internet. I hope at least a few of you believe me. Krampus has spent years in chains, just saving his energy and biding his time till he can be free. And, to be honest, we don't entirely know what he's capable of. So, if you happen to have a snot-nosed cousin who likes exposing your diary to the world, or maybe your little sister is being tormented by a bully at school, drop me a message. I just need a name and address, and I can put them on the list for next year. If you live with an insufferable child, drop me a line and your security system's access code. Sounds horrible, I know. But if we work together and make the sacrifices we need to, we can keep Krampus contained and keep him from eating all the children in the world, and maybe even worse. If you can't help us get a child, then please keep the legend of Krampus alive. Tell the stories. Go to the parades and festivals. Maybe that will be enough to keep us safe if we get caught. Let the fear and stories spread. So no one learns what real fear is. So it seems that we need to help these Krampuses with their sacrifices in order to not usher in the destruction of the entire planet. Thank you, Winter Friends, for tuning in tonight. If anybody needs me, I'll be outside, laying in the snow, making snow devils. Until next time.